My message this morning is to try to get us to realize who Jesus is and to be thrilled about it and to know the love of God and to ascend high to the high life and walk with God because I believe that's possible. John chapter 17 is known as the high priestly prayer. It's possibly one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. But the problem is we read it and we go, yeah. Whereas we read it and we should go, yes. So my aim is to make us go, yes. But I rarely achieve my aims in life. <laughs> and uh, I'm also not going to take it verse by verse. In fact, I'm barely going to touch on it at all because you can miss the wood for the trees. I'm going to tell us some themes running up to John 17 so that when you do read it, your eyes will be opened a bit more than they are if you just do read it and go, yeah. But I will end by reading the last chunks of verses. Let me ask a question that seems to have nothing to do with anything at the moment, but it will do in a bit. For those of us that believe in God as the first cause of everything, have you ever stopped to ask this question? Why do feminine and masculine exist? Why is there male and female? Women often ask, why do men exist? Do we really need them? But stepping back, the masculine and feminine, and if you're a Christian and you believe there's a purpose to things, have you ever asked why? Now, the answer to why there's masculine and feminine is given by Moses in the Bible, and it's all to do with unity. Things being in harmony with each other and with God. This idea is written into everything in the cosmos. According to the Christian worldview, the universe is meant to be one harmonious entity, and it's expressed often in the reality you see with feminine and masculine. It's written large, and it's written in the small. Let me try and prove what I just said. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Moses says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know that verse, don't you? Don't you? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this, but uh, heavens is a masculine noun. Did you know that in Hebrew? And earth is a feminine noun. Did you know that? In Hebrew, heaven is a masculine word and earth is feminine, and the two are designed to complement each other and be harmoniously joined together in like this cosmic marriage in unity and rhythm. Things on earth linked to the heavens above. <clears throat> and then you see that embedded in the microcosm as well. And in lots of areas in God's world, masculinity complements femininity. Heavens, earth, People, animals, plants, you can't escape it. And I just want you to think, why? On Thursday, though, in my class, I asked the group, is the world 
totally harmonious as you look at it today. Is it a harmonious place? Do you know what they said? No. Is it broken? Do you know what they said? Yes. And I said, I agree. And Moses explains why there's a fracture between the heavens and the earth, and sometimes either as well as man and woman. Moses says, sin and evil and distrust of God have caused the unity to become disunified. Is that a word? It's caused the heavens, to, well, the earth to fall from the heavens. And now, you turn on the news and masculinity and femininity is fractured and things which were united and seamless and complementary now seem to be separate and fractured and forced apart. So, masculine and feminine in nature, everywhere, seems a bit broken. Further than that, though, my friends that I'm becoming friends with now, I'm back in Cardiff, none of them will really say, I know for sure that I'm consciously walking with God. Very few of them will say that. And there seems to be a blanket over those of us on earth and like an inability to be united to the heavens. There's a fracture with us, the feminine, with the masculine heavens. It's almost like there's this curtain over everyone, almost everyone you meet. Very few will say, I'm in complete harmony with my brothers and sisters and with God. There's a fracture. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible goes even further on its commentary of why the world is broken than just that. And did you know this? Moses teaches us that there's even now a fracture between land and sea. Did you know that? So, land in the Bible, symbolically and sometimes literally, gets engulfed by these warring waters around it. And water, since you ask, and its linked word, sea, is a masculine word. And it seethes around the vulnerable feminine land. Turbulent and dangerous. And that's why some of you, when you see the sea smashing against the rocks, you feel disconcerted. Is that a word? And vulnerable. And Moses says, well, I told you that a long time ago. I'm always amazed how much we live out what the Bible teaches, even sometimes without realizing. And the waters, stay with me, are, in the Bible, a sign of the abyss. Chaos. And in our run-up to John 17, we're beginning to remind ourselves there's this theme happening of earth and heavens, unstable, broken. Humanity, now unstable often and broken apart. And even if you marry, you might sometimes be at war with even you, the one that you might think you could be at harmony with. That can be a massive headache, can't it? 
So even with our most closest loved ones, things can get a bit hairy. That's just the land, though, because I just mentioned the waters. We also not only have our own issues with heaven and earth and with each other, but Moses says there's this constant reminder that things could get even worse. There's this swirling abyss raging just on the edge of our lives all the time. You're glad you came. This is an uplifting one, isn't it? It's literally described as hell by Moses, symbolically. So we're here, and we're like, life on the land can be bad. And Moses is like, yeah, just look out the window of what could happen. You can go even further from the heavenly life. You could sink There's an abyss knocking at your door. And those are symbols all the way through the Old Testament. That's why Jonah gets lobbed overboard and he sinks profoundly in many ways. That's why the Egyptians are trying to scramble to land and just get engulfed by the abyss. That's why Noah sees people just washed away into this abyss. And you know it because you're from the West, most of you, and the West is built on the Bible. So we say phrases like on Monday morning, I'm lost at sea. Why do you say that? Because you know that there's a swirling abyss that could engulf us. And then, not quite done, there's this figure in all this fracture of feminine and masculine and sea, and he's the epitome of chaos, and we can't get rid of him, and he appears in the writings of Moses as a snake, an intruder with one aim, to bring you down further, even further from under the heavenly life that you long for, and he's there. Here's a question. What is it about a snake that's so unsettling? It's because it moves like water. It's a symbol of the unsteadiness. You can't quite grip life. And it's hurtling towards me to upset my stable rhythm as I'm trying to unite to things. This wiggly, watery thing is out to disrupt the unity that I want. And some of you are at sea right now. And people I meet through the week, they are utterly lost at sea, as Moses describes. Utterly living a chaotic life and sinking fast. And our hearts break. And church is here. And if I ask them today, or you, is the world broken? Inside, you might be shouting a resounding, yes, I am sinking fast. I feel fractured from the masculine. So the big questions of life, therefore, are these. How can I go high? How can I reconnect the feminine to the masculine? How do I ascend? You've got two options. Number one, you fix your life. Number two, someone else fixes your life. Or third, actually, 
You do nothing, and you just drift further out to sea. But I reckon you're here because there's something in you that wants the high life, wants God, wants to do more than just exist, wants help. I'm not quite done. Let me tell you something about chaos that modern psychologists teach. And it's quite helpful, to a point, because I've been reading them a fair bit. This works to a point if chaos is manageable. Modern psychologists tell people, right, who are lost at sea, or feel fractured, or at war here, or up there, they say, you need to fight to put things right. It's built in you to fight, and why that is, is a whole other sermon. But I think they're right, but they will say, you're wired to swim back to land and you can do it. So maybe you're listening this morning, you don't really need God. You did read John chapter 17, you're like, that's all right, but he's not going to be the central character in my life, because I am, and I'm going to fight. Fight through, grit it, go through. Um, And then they warn you, if you don't do that, you will drift and you will sink into the abyss. And they describe chaos as this, mass disruption to a working pattern. All right? This will all have a point in a bit. So sometimes we've got a working pattern, something arrives, the snake, the waters, and then it causes mass disruption. This is, that's the definition of chaos at the moment. Here's a little example of how you are geared to Maybe sort of fight your way out, okay? This is from the psychologist I was reading. Your body, uh, your spirit inhabits your body, although that's controversial in and of itself, but you enter a pattern of living, okay? Well done, you've made it to today. You're in a rhythm. Let's say you go home and you eat some raw food. What happens is the raw food joins itself to your body and disrupts your pattern, chaos. You following? So, you drift out to sea. Off you go. And here's what they say, you will continue to drift and drift and drift if you continue to eat the raw food. So, you better cook. You better cook those eggs and work your way back to land because you're going to sink body, mind, and soul just on a little scale. That's chaos, right? Is it larger one. Tracy has been married to Timmy for 50 years. I made the names up. In fact, I've had to go through four or five different made-up names because I realized they're actual people here, and then you might have thought I was talking about you. I hope there's no Tracys married to Timmys in this room for this illustration of chaos on a larger scale and what you might do to fight through life. Tracy has been married to Timmy for 50 years. On year 51, Tracy finds out that Timmy has been having an affair for the last 30 years. Now, everything in Tracy's rhythm is disrupted. It's chaos by the modern definition. It breaks apart the norm. Now, in her spirit and her mind and her body, she's at sea. She's drifting, and she's going to sink. So, Tracy 
needs to work to get back to land. And she'll grasp at things, and she'll have this sphere of management, otherwise she's going into the abyss that Moses describes. Here's the problem. You'd better hope that your resolve is greater than the chaos. Otherwise, there is no answer for you. You can't fight back. You're going down. And that's hopeless. And that's where I veer from the modern psychologist thing at the moment. Because I meet a lot of Tracys who don't have it in them anymore to fight another day. They just don't. What do you do then? And indeed, the Bible then just presents us with people after people after people who are either on land and cut off and at war, or even at sea and at war and are sinking, and we fail to go back up, and we try and we misfire or we sin or we go down rabbit holes, but all it's doing is plastering up the problem rather than fixing it. So that's the Bible's big description of mankind. But then it does something else to reunite the feminine with the masculine, if you're following. It offers option two. And this is where I really want us to start rereading John 17, because option two in the Bible for people lost at sea or fractured socially or spiritually, is a person. And the Bible offers someone who's strong for the weak, someone who unites the fractured back to the high life and knowing God, and even unites people back to people. He's the strong one for the Tracys who are lost. And there's one more thing I want to say before I read the last few verses of John 17. So please bear with me because none of this will make sense unless we grasp this final theme that runs through Moses' strand of feminine and masculine unity, disunity. And it's this. Whenever there's unity and the Christian worldview still believes this, God's strength must be at work. God's Holy Spirit must be at work. That's the power that you need to live the high life and be stable and survive the waters when they come. And in Genesis chapter 1, follow me, do you remember that it's the breath of God hovering over the abyss, and the Spirit of the living God pulls up the feminine land and unites it seamlessly with the heavens. You cannot ignore that. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 2, where humanity comes alive to God and to each other at the moment that the breath and the Spirit of God is breathed into them, and they walk with God? Do you remember, as we get very close now to John 17, 
Further in Moses' writings, there's this funny figure called a priest, and he's drenched in the Holy Spirit, and he has people's names written on his heart, and he represents them, and he walks up the stairs into the church, and he leaves the earth part, goes through the curtain with the people's names on him, covered in the Holy Spirit, right to where God is. He carries them out of the earth, unites them with the heavens. And do you remember? In Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3, where this other priestly figure is on the scene, the other priestly figure that the book of Hebrews calls the greater Aaron, the high priest, and there are a group of people standing in the water, in the abyss, and those chapters are called the baptism for the repentance of removal of sins, and there they are, all the people who have been brave enough to stand in the abyss and say, I'm fractured here and here, I'm lost, so there they are, the pompous church goers, the non-church goers, the bullies, the liars, the thieves, the cheats, the beaters, the God-rejectors, the anxious, the deflated, they're in the water. And unbelievably, a high priest walks right up to where they are, joins them, sinks himself symbolically into the abyss, uniting himself with them, and then powerfully rises back up. And then do you know what they do? They walk back onto the land, and now they know God, and they're at peace with each other, forgiving each other along the way. And do you remember what happens next? Just as Jesus was baptized and came out of the waters, at that moment, the Spirit of God descended on this man, this priest, this strong man, this uniter, this one who takes people home to God the Father and fixes and saves the great fixer, the great unifier, the sea stopper, the land lifter, my Monday morning hope that he will walk with me. And then there's John chapter 17. And this high priest has still got the names of his people on his heart. And he prays in the first chunk about his coming death. Uh, the hour has come. My time is up. And he's going to sink further into the hellish abyss than any one of you ever will. And he's going to take people out of it higher than anyone else could ever take you higher. And he prays about that. Then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for this with this passage. And I'm going to end by reading it. And I really hope you realize he's praying for you because he wants to work for you to get you out of your chaos. And I hope you believe him and trust him and put all of your eggs in this great unifier's basket because he longs for you to ascend. And for the first time ever, the masculine heavens bend their ears to the feminine earth because one voice is being heard through the curtain and he says this my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one 
Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world might believe that you have sent me as the great abyss destroyer. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, and may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them that I myself may be in them. Jesus loves you and that's how much he longs to help you today and tomorrow. My last sentence is Isaiah 43 verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.